Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Uh, it is good to see you all. For those of you who are new, my name is Chris, and I serve as the lead pastor here. Uh, let me add my welcome. So glad to have you, especially if you are new at First City. And let me just say that what we want you to know about First City Church above everything else is that we are a church that genuinely believes that Jesus Christ is the resurrected and reigning king. As we we're going to talk about today, the reason we are on mission is because Jesus truly did die to save sinners. He was resurrected, and one day he is coming back. That is what compels us. And we want you to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want you to experience that grace, be transformed by that grace. So if you are here and you are a believer looking for a church home, and you have questions about First City, we'd love to be able to answer those uh, pray for you, meet any practical needs you may have. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're wrestling through what you believe, you're unsure of what you believe, know that you are also welcome here. We would love to get to know you, welcome you into this community, pray for you, meet any practical needs. And if you're here this morning and you say, I don't have faith, I'm here, but I do not claim faith in Christ, welcome. We also want to get to know you. We want to welcome you into this community, pray for you, meet any practical needs, share the gospel with you. We'd love to just hear your story. So wherever you are, know that we want to extend hospitality to you. We want you to know and experience the grace of God. And so please reach out, whether stop by the welcome table, hop on church center, grab me or Pastor Paul or Pastor Kyle, or talk to someone you know in the church. Let us connect you further into this community. Well, if you haven't opened your Bibles to Matthew 28, please do so right at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And the title of my message this morning is The Book Ends of Mission. And so at the beginning of each year, what we like to do is we like to spend four or five weeks talking about either a particular spiritual discipline or an aspect of our core values as a church. So last year, uh, we, we talked about uh, more of community. Uh, so we, we talked about one another passages, different passages that talk about the things that we do as a church together. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, we talked about prayer. We emphasized about prayer by going through the Lord's Prayer. So this year... We are going to spend the month of January emphasizing mission. First City Church has a mission statement, and it reads that First City Church exists to glorify God by making disciples, planting churches, and working for the good of our city. We have a mission. When we planted eight years ago, the end of this month, we, yes, pre-birthday pre clap. <laughs> We didn't do so because we just wanted a church closer to where we live. We didn't do it for convenience. Planting a church is the last thing that's convenient. We did not do that for convenience. We did it because we have a mission. God has given us a mission. And central to that mission, making disciples, 
That, that is something that we didn't come up with. We didn't invent that. We didn't sit around and go, hey, what would be a good mission? Oh, making disciples sounds kind of cool. Let's do that. No, the mission that we have, making disciples, is a mission that we have been given by Jesus himself. We see that right here in Matthew 28. The mission that we have comes from Christ. As Christians individually and as the church together, we have been given a mission by Christ. And that mission is defined by Jesus, and that mission then defines who we are. And so we're going to spend four weeks in January talking about mission, and we figured one way to do that would be to look at what Jesus says about mission, looking at particular passages from the gospel. So we're going to look at three passages from the gospel of Matthew, and we're going to look at one from the gospel of John, where Jesus sort of lays out some of the contours of our mission as followers of Christ. Now, I think we would all agree, if you are a follower of Christ and you think about mission, mission is much easier said than done. Mission is messy. It is hard. It is good. It is glorious. It can be fun, but it is hard. We get discouraged. We get disappointed. We get tired. There are challenges. So there's, we can kind of fall on that side. On the other side, we can get really excited about mission, but then what we end up doing is we start importing our own priorities and agenda into mission. We start defining mission on our own terms, and we start deploying tactics that we think are going to make us successful, and so we kind of lose the definition of mission that Jesus gave to us. So one way or another, it's easy for mission in our lives to sort of fall over, tip one side or the other. And if you've ever tried to set up books whether on a bookshelf, and you know how like when your books don't quite meet the full end of the bookshelf, like that's my world in my office right now, I have a few that, that just don't quite meet, and what happens? It kind of choom, tips over, and it really messes with my symmetry OCD, and so I'm constantly just pushing it back. Or if you've ever tried to set up books in, in kind of in a row, like on your desk, or maybe on a shelf that's not a bookshelf, you know how just like the slightest bump, and those things fall over. So what do you need to do to keep them up? You get bookends bookends help to keep it stable and standing. And that is what we need with mission. We need bookends to mission that help keep our mission standing and stable. We need bookends to help us when we are excited about mission to keep us focused on the biblical definition of mission. We need bookends to help us when we are tired and we are worn out and we want to give up we need bookends when we feel guilty that we're not doing it enough, or, or maybe we are just so consumed with our pain, or, or maybe there's just this apathy. We need bookends that are going to help us, challenge us, encourage us, and keep us standing and stable in mission. And that is what we are going to look at in, from Matthew 28. And so here is the main point for us from this passage this morning. And here are the bookends that sort of surround this mission. Under the authority of Christ... We make disciples of Christ with the presence of Christ. And how I sort of frame that on the slide is so you can kind of see the bookends that are on the top and the bottom of mission. Under the authority of Christ, we make disciples of Christ with the presence of Christ. Now, before we get to the bookends, I want to start with the middle section. We make disciples of Christ. How exactly does Jesus define mission here in Matthew 28? So if we're going to avoid injecting our own priorities or our own strategies, if we're going to sort of keep our eye on the ball and, and have this sense of, hey, what is the mission that Jesus has given us and what does that look like, 
we need to look at what Christ lays out for us here in Matthew 28. And this is what he tells his disciples in verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And so in these verses, Jesus gives us three important principles that are to shape and define our mission. The first is go. Jesus says, go and make disciples. There's a movement. There's a forward momentum to mission. It's not passive. It's purposeful. It's intentional. And in the English translations, we, we get a simple go. The, the, the command here, the go here, comes in the form of just a simple command. Go. And this is true. This is a command from Christ, a commission from Christ. This is not an optional, hey, if you get around to it kind of thing. No. It is a command that we are given, this mission that we are given. But when we, if we camp out just a minute in the, the original Greek, we see that this command actually has a rich texture to it. So while the, the English translations are right to translate this as a simple command, go, in the original Greek, it's not a simple command. It's actually in a participial form. And so the more literal translation is in your going or as you go. And so what, what, what is captured there is the broadness of our mission and the broadness of our going. Yes, this command from Jesus compels missionaries to pack up everything they own and travel to a different country and go. It compels pastors to go and plant churches. Like there is a go that cause, calls people to leave where they are and go somewhere else. But this as you go, in your going, is also very broad. It has this sense of everyday going as you go throughout your day in your going throughout your day and your week and your month and your year, wherever it is that you happen to go, whether it is in your family, in your home, in a job, in a neighborhood, in a city, as you go, in your going, everyday ordinary, it's a broad scope. Mission encompasses all of life. Jesus didn't say, hey, mission is over here in this little corner of your life and then here's the rest of your life. No, it's in everywhere that you go. It's mission as you go, in your going. But it's not just a casual going. It's not just a, in my life, if I accidentally stumble into mission, then great. No, as you go, in your going, there is a command, there is a commission that carries you. As you go, in your going, there is a purpose of making disciples. What defines your everyday, ordinary going is mission, is a mission that Jesus has given you. What envelops your life as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a child, as a student, as an employee, as an employer, whatever role, whatever hat you may wear in your ordinary everyday life, if you are a disciple of Jesus, what envelops that and all that's involved in that is a greater mission of making disciples. Because listen, Something is going to define your going. Something defines your everyday, ordinary life and how you do what you do. What gives purpose to your parenting? What gives purpose to your marriage? What gives purpose in your work and in your life and in your relationships? Something is motivating you. Something is coloring it. Something is sort of over the top of that. And here Jesus says, for my disciples, it's a mission to go 
and make disciples. And so we go. And listen, this makes complete sense when we consider the power of the gospel in our lives. Because before Christ, we were consumed with our own mission. We were consumed with ourselves, making ourselves known, making our names known. We were consumed with our priorities. We were consumed with what made us look good and feel good. But through the power of the gospel, through the power of Jesus Christ, we have been set free from sin and selfishness and building our own kingdoms. And through the power of the gospel now, we have been given a greater purpose and a greater mission. Set free from sin and selfishness and self-absorption, we now live for the glory of Christ. We now live that others may know Christ. Like, what greater mission could there be if you have experienced the power of Christ in your life, if you have been rescued and redeemed, forgiven and set free, if that is your story, if that is what Christ has done for you, what greater thing could you give your life to that others would experience that as well? In light of what Christ has done, we go. Our lives have been transformed by the gospel, and so the gospel now defines our life. We go. Second, Jesus says to baptize. And so baptism is the sacrament that marks people as they are entering into the covenant community of God, becoming part of God's people. And so what is implied here in baptism is people coming to faith, people coming to know Christ. And how do people come to faith? Well, as Romans 10, 17 tells us, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. People come to faith through the word of God. And how do they hear the word of God? When we proclaim it, when we share it, when we speak it. Mission, the, the, the sort of the first piece of mission in our going is a speaking, is a sharing, is a declaring of that gospel. That the thing that captured us and transformed us and now shapes our life and shapes our going, that's the first thing out of our lips. It's the gospel. We go and we declare and we proclaim the gospel message. And what is the message of the gospel? It's Jesus Christ crucified for sinners, but now the resurrected and reigning king. And through faith in him, we experience salvation. We experience forgiveness and freedom. We do not proclaim a message of do better and try harder. We don't proclaim a message of go clean your life up. We don't proclaim a message that God helps those who help themselves. No, we proclaim a message that we were dead in our sins, utterly helpless and hopeless, but God, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, came and rescued us. We heard the gospel message proclaimed and God made our hearts come alive and we responded in faith. And now we proclaim that message that Jesus Christ saves sinners. That Jesus Christ died for every sin that you have committed and will commit and that through his life, death, and resurrection you can be forgiven and set free. We proclaim this message. But we don't just proclaim it and then people believe it and then we high-five them and we go, all right, man, good work, let's go. No. We baptize. We baptize. What does this mean? We, we baptize to bring people into the community. We bring them into the family of God. The beautiful thing about baptism, look, baptism, yes, baptism is a, a, a moment where you, you kind of publicly acknowledge and identify with Christ and his people. But more than your identification, baptism is God marking you. 
He is marking you, saying, this one is mine. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is a disciple of Christ. And so in baptism, you are marked. You are God's. You are not your own. You belong to someone else. You belong to a group of people now. And you are welcomed into this family. And so when we baptize people, it signifies all that God has done. And now that we belong to to, to God and to the church. And so we're not solo. It's not about making individual Christians just kind of walking around doing their own thing. No, it's about the people of God, Christ building his church. And so we baptize, bring people into the community. And why do we do this? So that we can teach. We go, we baptize, and the final principle here that Jesus tells us is teach. Jesus says in the work of making disciples to teach them to observe all I have commanded you. Making disciples doesn't stop when a person comes to faith. It's not share the gospel, they come to faith, and we're like, okay, my work here is done. No, we are called to mature disciples. We are called to mature one another in the faith. And so this, this is what is important to capture here in these verses, is that the, the, the mission of making disciples is not just evangelism and sharing the gospel, nor is it just the work of making believers more mature. It is all of that together. All of that is the mission. When we talk about the mission of, of, of discipleship, when we talk about the mission of making disciples, we're talking about it from the beginning to the end. It's the whole thing. And right here in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus gives us the entire process, the entire piece, the entire picture. And so it is sad when, when churches can do this, we can sort of pit evangelism and discipleship as if they are two competing priorities. And so you'll hear churches talk about, well, we spend too much time on evangelism and not enough time on discipleship, or we spend too much time on discipleship and not enough time on evangelism. And that can certainly happen. But what Jesus shows us here is that these two things are not in competition. These are all part of the same mission. They work in concert together. They work as part of the overall health and life of the church. And so as we go and we share the gospel and people come to faith, we then mature them and help them grow. And as we do the work of maturing, we are compelled because we want more people to experience this. And so we go out and we share the gospel. And so it's all the same thing. It's all the same work. And so a robust evangelism should lead to a robust discipleship and robust discipleship should lead to robust evangelism. That's our mission, church. That's how we want to hold up mission here at First City. And that's why almost everything that we do is both connected to both Christians being matured and non-Christians who need the gospel. On Sunday mornings, we want to be extend, we want to share the gospel with those of you who do not know Christ. We want to extend hospitality to you, but we're also maturing and growing those in the room who are believers. The same in our gospel communities. We welcome those who do not know Christ. We want to share the gospel with them. We want to love them, encourage them, show hospitality, but we're also growing and maturing as disciples. It's all the same mission. Here's the other piece of this principle that is important for us to see what Jesus is handing us as far as our mission. When he says, teach them to observe all I've commanded you, the mission of making disciples does not have a low bar. 
The mission of making disciples is not have a low bar. Jesus defines the goal and purpose of our mission as mature faith in him. Teach them to observe, which is to keep, to practice, to obey everything that I have commanded. Not just, hey, pick like the five most important things and just kind of do that. Everything. Jesus is going for a holistic discipleship, a holistic maturity. In our work of making disciples, we are aimed at robust obedience and maturity. And yes, we are going to fail. Yes, we are going to struggle with sin, our own sin and the sin of others. Like in our entire lives, this is going to be a battle. It's going to be a wrestle. It's going to be a struggle. We were going to need continual grace. We're going to need patience. But let's not sell ourselves and others short And let's certainly not sell short the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ has laid out a goal and a purpose to mature disciples, to teach, to obey everything that he has commanded, to grow in our faith, to mature in our faith, to thrive in our faith, to be strong in our faith. Let's not sell that purpose short. Because listen, if you have the Spirit of God in you, if you have the Holy Spirit working inside of you, why would you sell yourself short? That's like having a fast car and keeping it in first gear. Why would you do that? It is meant to fly. It is meant to go fast. You are meant to grow. You are meant to thrive. You are meant to experience freedom. Yes, humility. Yes, grace. Yes, patience. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, the bar is not low. Christ does not have small purpose for you. He is not a small and ineffectual Savior barely working on you and just tweaking a little here and there. No, he is transforming you into his own image. And that is what we are after when we disciple one another. And so we go, we baptize, we teach. These are the foundational principles of our mission. And so if you were to take a quick inventory of how you are doing, how your life looks as far as living on mission, what would you say? What would you say? Because I, I know that talking about mission is certainly going to hit different people in different ways. Like some of you in this room, you are excited about this series. Like you are excited about mission. You are excited about the idea of sharing the gospel. You're excited about the idea of getting in there and helping people grow. And you're doing the work. And in fact, you wish more people would be like you and do some of the work. And so you're fired up. And you can't wait for the next several weeks. But others of you, you're tired. You've been giving yourself to the work. You're sharing the gospel. You're you're in the mix with people, whether it be in your family or in the church or others, that you're helping grow. And it's hard work. It's tiring work. It's sometimes frustrating, disappointing work. And you feel very worn out. And so you're like, oh, great. The very thing that feels very overwhelming right now, we're going to talk about for, for a month. And it kind of feels like a cheerleader coming up to someone who's just finished a marathon going, come on, keep running, run some more. Like, that's not exciting to anybody. Maybe Eric Adele, but no one else. (laughs) And so you're tired. Others of you, maybe you feel guilty. You feel guilty because you realize you should be doing this more and you're not, or, or, or you see the people in your life that you know you should be investing in or sharing the gospel with and you're not, whether because you're afraid 
or you feel inadequate, or maybe you've just gotten so busy with your life, whatever it may be, you see what, you, what God has called you to do, what Jesus has called you to do, you're not doing, and so you feel guilty, and you're like, great, this is just going to make me feel more like a failure. Others of you, and I want to be very sensitive to you, those in this group, but some of you, your pain, your trial, your struggle, your suffering feels so overwhelming that the idea of living on mission feels like foreign to you. Like, I can barely get out of bed. What am I supposed to do to share the gospel with people, to disciple other people? Like, I'm a mess and I barely make it through my day. How am I supposed to do this? And that's where you are. Others of you, you're just apathetic. Like, mission isn't really something that you give much thought to. You're kind of just consumed with your own things, your own agendas, your own goals. It doesn't mean that you're not a follower of Jesus, but it means that his mission is not what is defining your life. Which of those categories would you most identify with? Maybe you would identify with several of them. And so here's the other question. What do you need to overcome sort of the place that you're stuck? Like if you were to think about where you are, like you're struggling, whether it is tiredness, whether it is fear, whether it's apathy, whether it's just because of your suffering, wherever it is, you're, you're, there's a roadblock. Like if I were to ask you, I'd go, hey, what do you think you need to get past that? Can I, can I read your mind for a second? How many of you would say, man, if I just was, I just knew how to do this better. If I knew how to better articulate the gospel. If I knew how to better ask people questions or answer people's questions. If I was like quicker on my feet. If I knew more of the Bible or knew more theology. If I had more practice sharing the gospel. How how many of you, when you think about the roadblocks and the thing that would maybe help you get over the hump, you jump to technique and skill and knowledge? Read anybody's mind? This is how our world has shaped us. Like, is greater skill and greater knowledge good? Yes, absolutely. You should develop in skill. You should develop in in your understanding of scripture and your understanding of theology. You should get good at having conversations with people and sharing the gospel. Like, all of that matters. All that is important. But listen, being good at something, having better technique or strategy or skill doesn't guarantee anything. Like, you know what I'm really good at? Like, I'm really good at making the bed. Like, I would have killed it. If I would have ever been in the military, I would have killed it in boot camp. Like, I am good at making the bed. Do I make the bed every morning or even most mornings? No. <clears throat> Is it because I lack skill? No. I'm actually really good. It's not skill and lack of confidence that's keeping me from doing. Or if I can be a little bit more serious, and I, and I say this in all humility. Like, I am good at sharing the gospel. I am good at the process of making disciples. I better be, because you all pay me to do this professionally. <laughs> like, there, there is a sense where I have given myself to years of study and development. I have been discipled and mentored by very, very faithful and skilled pastors I have had a lot of experience in my, both in my Christian life and as a pastor. Like, there is a lot that has shaped me and developed my skill where I can say I am good, I am competent, I, I feel confident doing it. 
But when I'm tired, when I'm cynical, when I'm frustrated, when there is a lack of being compelled to do it, do I go, come on, Chris, you got an MDiv, man, go get it. No. Do, do I go, man, Chris, come on, you have been a pastor for over a decade, you, are, you, you know, you've been a Christian for over 30 years, like you know how to do this, you have the skill, you have the experience, go get it, man, come on, let's go. Is that what I tell myself? No. Is that what helps me and compels me, is a kind of grounding myself in my skill and my knowledge? No. No. And so friends, listen, as much and as important as skill is in mission, what's going to compel us, what's going to hold us up is not our confidence in our ability, our confidence in our knowledge. No, what's going to hold us up is the very bookends that Jesus gives us in these verses. And the first bookend that he gives us here is his authority. In verses 16 through 18, we read that the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so I, I wanna just first briefly notice just the setting here and how the setting communicates Christ's authority. Where are they? They're on a mountain. Jesus is on a mountain with his disciples giving them his word. This sound familiar? Does this echo us back to Exodus 19? Like the very setting, the stage that Matthew is, is the picture he is painting here is to show what is happening here mirrors what happened back on Sinai. God giving his people his word. Here is Jesus, God in the flesh, the one who has authority, giving his authoritative mission to his people. And he tells them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, this word authority, it's important to define here because we all understand the idea that a person can have authority with no power. Like, there are people who are in our positions of authority, but do they actually have any power and influence? No. But this word authority denotes position, but also power. It carries the idea of one who has power to dictate and direct someone's destiny and, and even sort of their life. And so when Jesus says he has authority, he's not just talking about his position, he's actually talking about his actual power and his sovereign power. But it's also important that we recognize that Jesus isn't just making this, he isn't just stating the obvious here. He isn't just saying, hey, as God in the flesh, as the son of God, I have all authority and all power. And it's like, well, duh, you're God, that makes sense. No, this declaration of all authority has been given to me is a declaration of victory. It's a declaration of triumph. See, all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, the main theme of the Gospel of Matthew is the kingship and, and Christ being the Messiah, the king. And so everything that is happening in the book of Matthew is building this case that Christ is the king, Christ is the chosen one, Christ is the Messiah. And here, all of that builds up to this ultimate display of Christ's kingship. And messianic call is his death on the cross and then his resurrection. And so when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, it's because Jesus actually went out and he displayed that authority and used that authority to accomplish the mission of salvation. I have all authority because here is what I have done. I have accomplished the purpose of God. 
I have fulfilled salvation. I have done, I have completed the plan. I have done what I have set out to do. So this authority actually has teeth to it. It's not just an abstract authority. Christ has won. Christ is victorious. Christ has all authority because he fulfilled God's plan of redemption. And this is so important for us in mission because what this says is that the power of Christ, the work of Christ, what he accomplished and what he is doing in this world, nothing can oppose it and stand against it and defeat it. Like, yes, Scripture calls Satan the ruler of this world, the ruler of this age. He exercises power over the minds of people. He influences people and cultures. There is evil in this world that opposes God. There's evil in this world that opposes the gospel, that wrecks and ruins people's lives. There's sin that we have and we deal with. So there is evil opposition. But listen, that opposition does not overthrow and thwart the authority of Christ. That authority stands. It is sure It is unending and unbending. And because of the authority of Christ, we have confidence. Because of the authority of Christ, we can go into this broken and dark world with confidence because we know that even when we are opposed, we will not be defeated. Christ sent his disciples into a world with lots of authorities. There were spiritual authorities, there were religious authorities, there were governmental authorities, and most of those authorities thought that they were an authority over the disciples. They tried to get them to shut their mouths and stop telling people about the gospel. They tried to oppose the gospel and oppose the church. But here we are 2,000 years later. Here we are, the church has advanced and has grown. Here we are, living proof that the authority of Christ cannot be overcome. And so church, we go and we share the gospel because Christ stands in authority. Christ stands in victory. Christ stands with all power in in heaven and on earth. That's our confidence. It's also the thing that we are defined by and live under. Christ's authority compels us. Christ's authority commands us. Christ's authority sends us out because he is the highest authority and he has all right to command and direct our lives. And in light of Christ's authority giving us this command, Every other thing that we do, every other thing we give our life to, every other priority must come under this. Because listen, let's say say the mayor of Bellevue gave me a mission, some task, some mission. That would be cool because he has an authority to do that and then I would go and do that under that authority. But what if the governor of Nebraska then came and said, hey, Chris, I am going to give you a greater mission and this mission is actually, the mission that the mayor gave you has to fit under this mission. Why can the governor do that? Because he has higher authority. Now, well, let's say the president came and gave me a mission. And he said, this mission, the mission that the governor gave you and the mayor gave you have to come underneath this mission. Why can the president do that? Because he has the authority to do that. He's a greater authority. And so friends, listen, there are lots of priorities we give ourselves to and a lot of good things we give ourselves to. But the authority of Christ shapes everything that we do. The authority of Christ and the mission that he gives us. We are now compelled by that authority. We are strengthened by that authority. We have that as our backstop, as our confidence. So that's one bookend. The other bookend is his presence. 
We're not left just with Christ's authority to sustain us. He also gives us his presence. And can you imagine being the disciples here, going out into a world and proclaiming a message that was going to get them persecuted and mocked and beaten and even killed? They had hard work ahead of them. Yes, the gospel was going to take off like wildfire and thousands were going to come to Christ and the church was going to be built in advance. Like there's going to be a lot of things to praise the Lord and get excited about, but it was going to be hard, challenging work. It was going to be lonely at times, dangerous at times, confusing at times, lots and lots of pitfalls. But in the midst of that, here's what Jesus says, I'm going to be with you. You're never alone. You're never by yourself. You're not going out in your own power, but you're going out in my power. Isn't it amazing how the presence of a parent can give kids confidence? I mean, you, those of you who are parents, have you ever noticed that your presence helps your kids sort of stand up taller and do what they're doing with more, a more sense of purpose and confidence? Like if they're by themselves and they're feeling a little inadequate, like how your presence can matter, this is what Christ's presence does in the midst of us feeling weak, in the midst of us feeling inadequate, in the midst of feeling worn out, in the midst of all the hardships, here Jesus says, I'm with you. And what does that do? It gives us confidence. Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me, empowering me. He's called me to do this, and if he's with me, I can do this. If his power is in my life, I can do this. If he's at work in this other person, I can do this. If Christ be with me, then I can do all things. And so with that promise, with that bookend, we now go into the world. We now go and we are held up because no matter what happens, Christ is with us. Wherever, wherever our goings take us, Christ is with us. Christ is with you in your home while you are discipling your kids. Christ is with you when you're in the church and gospel community and other relationships as you're helping others grow. Christ is with you in your workplace as you're sharing the gospel. He's with you when you're speaking to your neighbor. He's with you when you are in just in a random grocery store and you invite somebody to come to church like some of you are really good at doing. Christ is with you wherever you go. Greater than your technique, greater than your knowledge, greater than your skill and your ability is his presence. And because of that, we're held up. The authority of Christ in the presence of Christ. This is what's going to compel us. This is what's going to strengthen us. This is what is going to allow us to be successful in mission. This is, a, this is an interesting fact about George Washington. Do you know George Washington was actually not that great of a general? Like when it came to tactical sort of brilliance and, and tactical strategy, there were far greater generals in the Revolutionary War than George Washington. Far better. The dude lost more battles than he won in a lot of ways. And yet, he was the leader who pulled this ragtag group of militiamen together to overthrow one of the most powerful militaries in the world. And then they wanted to make him king for life. <laughs> How could somebody who had average skill at best be such a great leader? One, his strength of character. But two, his conviction, his belief and his ability to compel others to follow through and to fight. And so in the, in the example of Washington, it's very interesting to see that when somebody is compelled and shaped by character, but also conviction and belief, that that can do far more than skill and technique. And so church, as we live on mission, 
Rather than putting our hope in our technique, we put our hope in the power of Christ. We, we, we seek to become more and more like Jesus and have our character conformed more and more to the image of Christ. And in that, we become more effective in mission. We become more effective in making disciples. We become more effective in sharing the gospel. And yeah, we're going to fumble. Or we're going to at times not be articulate. We may lose arguments. We may get frustrated. We may get angry. We may sin. All of the things. But here's what's amazing. In spite of all that, Christ is at work in you. Christ is at work in you. His authority and his presence are holding you up. And so listen, if you are fired up for mission and you are excited about mission, awesome. But do not fall into the trap of defining mission by your own priorities and your own goals and your own hopes and your own dreams, but be defined by Christ. And rather than putting your confidence in your skill and your ability, put your confidence in the authority and presence of Christ. If you are tired and you are worn out, let me say, Christ is with you. And his grace and his strength and his power are at work in your life. Keep going. Keep serving. Keep making disciples. Keep sacrificing. The power of Christ is at work in you and he will sustain you. And when you feel tired and worn out, run to Jesus. Run and find comfort and strength in him. If you're here this morning and you're feeling guilty, one, understand that Christ loves you. Not because you can perform for him. Not because you're an amazing articulate evangelist or the, the master of making disciples. No, he loves you because he loves you. And his grace has met you and has forgiven you and has set you free. You're not performing here. But in the midst of that guilt, in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your feeling inadequate, run to Jesus. Run to his presence. Put your trust in his authority and let that hold you up and go and make disciples. If you're here and you your pain, oh, your pain feels like it's swallowing you whole. Here's what I want to encourage you in. One, run to Christ. Find comfort in Christ. He's with you. He loves you. He's empowering you. Put your trust in his authority. But here's the other thing. Your pain is the very thing that is going to testify to Christ in front of other people. Your pain is going to be the thing that Jesus uses to testify about, to, about himself in the lives of other people. Your pain is not an obstacle to mission. No, your pain is this giant, blinking, flashing, beautiful light, and it's a blowhorn pointing people to Christ. And so don't sideline yourself. Yeah, you may be tired. Maybe getting out of bed is a victory, but get out of bed and say, Jesus got me out of bed this morning. <laughs> Celebrate the grace of God. Testify to how God is sustaining you through the trial and through the pain. You can live on mission even in the midst of your suffering. In fact, you may be the most effective evangelist in the entire church. Finally, if you're just not compelled, if you're just not compelled, you're apathetic, let me just ask you, what in this world, what glory, what beauty, what accomplishment, what incredible thing is greater than the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. That the very Son of God would step into our world as a man and would live a perfect life for us, would die on a cross when we didn't deserve it, but out of love and grace, dies on a cross for us. 
defeating sin, defeating Satan, defeating evil, and defeating death, rises again gloriously, ascends into heaven, where he's seated at the right hand of God, and one day he's going to come back and renew and restore all things. And he has invited you to join him in this great rescue mission. This world that he made that has been corrupted by sin, he is going to renew it through his power. And he has invited you to be an ambassador, a messenger, a herald of this salvation. Like what could be greater than being part of a mission to restore and rescue and redeem all things? I want to ask you to wrestle with that question. I want to ask you what you could possibly give your life to that would be greater than that. What could you give your life to that is going to last eternally like that? What is more beautiful? What is more glorious? What is more powerful? And then on top of that, when you think that Jesus has given you his presence and his authority is with you, when you have everything that you need, what, what else could you give your life to greater than that? And so church, in conclusion, let me say this. Why do I want to talk about mission in January? Why why was compelled to to do this? Well, one, I want us to grow and continue to grow in our mission. This is something that we need to regularly rehearse. We never want to think that we've nailed it and we've moved on from it. We need to regularly rehearse it. But here's the bigger reason. You know, this year could be kind of crazy. I'm not a prophet, not the son of a prophet. I'm, I'm not claiming I know exactly what's going to play out. But it's an election year, and there's a lot of things going on in our world right now. Like, it, it's just, there's a, there's a lot of potential for crazy. <laughs> and in the midst of that, here's what can happen. We can get distracted. We can become fearful. We can lose sight of what we are about. We can lose sight of the greater truth and the greater thing Jesus has given us to live for. And so I want to start this year by reorienting us to mission, not because those other things aren't important and they don't matter, and and then yes, they're going to occupy our time and our minds and our energy and our emotions, and there's a degree to which they should. But greater than all of that is this truth, that all authority and power in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the greatest truth that defines our lives. That is the greatest truth that is going to compel this year for us. That is what we need to shape our comings and our goings in our daily life, more so than anything else going on in this world. And so we want to start here, because this is the glorious truth worth living for. Amen.